This is the American Digital Banking Podcast. We're joined by two really interesting participants today. Christina, who is the Global Financial Controller at CPQI, and Terry, who is the CEO. CPQI are the leading provider of digital transformation for financial institutions in the Americas. Hi, guys. Thanks for joining us. So for the audience, could you please give us a quick rundown of who you are and the personal impact you've had on financial markets? Terry, maybe you could go first. Uh, thank you very much, Deborah, and uh, hello to everybody. So my name's Terry Boyden. I had the privilege of uh, leading the organization, CPQI. Over the years, it's been my joy to work uh, in financial institutions uh, across the Americas, principally at uh, JP Morgan, where I had uh, the opportunity to lead a reasonable chunk of the technology there. And uh, as far as financial markets and my impact, it's not really my style to talk about that sort of stuff. I I'd like to feel that some of the things we've done have been a benefit to our clients. We've uh, certainly led uh, some of the major work relating to central counterparties in, in countries and central clearing and new products that have been introduced and have been developed across uh, some of the financial institutions that we work for. So um, and my personal impact, I guess I'd like to feel that I bring a smile to people's faces and that we work well. And Christina? Hi, Deborah. So I'm Christina Shea. I am the Global Financial Controller at CPQI. Uh, I have more than 20 years of experience working at IT consulting companies like Accenture, Capgemini, and now CPQI. Uh, my family background is Chinese, and I grew up in Paraguay and Brazil. And now I'm in Canada. So you can tell I'm a very cosmopolitan person. Um, as you already know, CPQI is the leading provider of digital transformation and manager service, focused exclusively on financial service. Since I'm part of the company leadership, it's important for me to bring awareness of how vital technology is today, especially during the pandemic. So we can help our clients enable their business to release products with improved speed, security, and quality. By employing intelligent operations, our client can work efficiently, effectively, and with the flexibility that many businesses crave for, like um, accessing essential data using virtual tools. So I think working at CPKI that helped me to um, improve the financial market with our technology. Well, thank you, Christina. That's really interesting. Terry, I know you started CPQI 15 years ago. Could you please tell us a little bit about the financial difficulties you faced when starting a business at that time and how you overcame them to create what is now a highly successful business? Well, 15 years, that's quite a long time. I suppose if we do the math, that takes us back to the end of 2006. And as you'll remember, 2008, 2009, in fact, even starting during 2007, turned out to be one of the worst economic crises of our lifetime with the, uh, the great mortgage failures and CDOs and MBS structures uh, across the world. So that was a challenge. But uh, starting with limited capital um, is extremely difficult. And not only that, adding into it the complexities of fintech, where the level of education needed in order to understand the financial markets, coupled with the extremely complicated nature of technology itself, means that you have to work with people who are highly experienced and therefore quite expensive. And just because I'm crazy, why don't you think about doing that in Brazil, where nobody really knows too much about it, uh, certainly in the UK, where I was at the time, 
and uh, trying to educate them on a country that uh, they've only seen in films and often in a negative light, uh, yet another dynamic that's, that's very difficult. So those were the things that we had to look at to see what can we do in order to start uh, a successful business. I suppose when it uh, comes to starting, the initial issue that needs to be considered is how do you manage the cash flow? Because cash at the end of the day is king. And being able to pay the salaries at the end of the month well, that's, uh, that, that's the number one priority. So uh, generating cash quickly is quite important so that the amount of investment that you put in is limited. And that's what we did initially with some work uh, with Hewlett Packard uh, relating to mergers and acquisitions, and then later on uh, some work uh, for Rabobank and, and other organizations. Uh, it's very important when you're starting up a fintech that you get to the point of, of creating revenue very quickly. Uh, if you don't do that, you will run out of money very, very quickly. And uh, the first time you don't make payroll will be the last time that you need to make payroll because that'll just frighten the living daylights out of everybody who's working with you. And, and they'll all consider that uh, you know, it's too much of a risk unless they're shareholders or owners like you are. So uh, I guess the key message is we did come up with something which was clearly differentiated. We came up with one or two quick win clients that we knew we could get before we started the, uh, the organization. And uh, then from that point, we managed cash flow very tightly uh, to make sure that um, we, were, uh, we were always cash positive. Uh, the other key element for us was partnership at CPQI. Often people ask, why is it called that? Well, the reason is that CPQD is an organization in Brazil. Uh, it stands for the Center for Research and Development. It's a substantial organization. And uh, in exchange for a shareholding in the company, we started CPQI incubated inside uh, their organization and their installations. So the setup costs were limited for us at the time, although we did pay them cost plus 5%, which uh, meant that we were burning a little bit of cash to start with, but uh, we came up with good cash flow arrangements with them. And, and it's these things really that help you to build and grow an organization. Thank you for sharing that, Terry. Lots of really helpful advice for anyone looking to build a fintech now. Um, Christina, having worked and managed managing and controlling finances for some of the largest consulting companies in the world, what have been some of the challenges you've seen larger businesses face and how have you helped overcome them? Uh, hi, Deborah. Regardless of the size, I think most consulting companies face three main challenges, growing revenue, hiring people, and increasing profit. I will talk about revenue today. Um, there are several ways to grow our revenue, organically or by acquisition. One thing that I have been doing very successfully is working closely with our sales and project team to plan an increase in our current base revenue. Uh, like what additional work can we sell to our current clients? What other service can we provide and add value or maybe negotiate um, potential extensions? Or how can we deliver ahead of time and meet our uh, milestones? All this can help bring more revenue. Therefore, as a finance lead, it's crucial uh, to have a good control over the projects and the contracts. Thanks, Christina, that's amazing. Terry, I know CVQI have faced periods of extremely fast growth. I've read about some of them in magazines, but how have you continued to ensure finances are controlled and managed effectively during these scaling periods? 
Yeah, so there have been some times, right, when the market's just exploded. And uh, I, I want to say right now, I'm going to blame my marketing manager for uh, the conditions that we're experiencing right now. I have no idea who that is. I don't know whether you do. No, I haven't heard of her. I heard she's a genius, though. That's one thing I did hear. Yeah, worth every penny is what I hear. So, uh, so right now we're going through a, a real period of expanding growth. And, and here's the secret, right? Uh, first of all, you can't overcommit. And it's very easy to do that. Secondly, you've got to consider your profitability during those times. So when the markets are really hot, one of the things that happens in fintechs, and you see it across the world, particularly in the Valley, is that there's a war for talent. And that can escalate salaries beyond belief. So you've got to look at other ways. You know, Nobody wants just mercenaries working for them. Uh, that's not a good way to work. So we look for people who are hungry, humble, and smart. Uh, from uh, Linkioni's book, uh, The Ideal Team Player, good plug for him. But what that does for us is it gives us uh, individuals who are interested in the firm, who buy into what the firm itself is trying to do and are not just trying to chase the money. So that, that's one key aspect for us during that time. Uh, secondly, we need to ensure that the company retains proper levels of profit. And if an organization can't be profitable at the right level during a high growth period, then it's really going to suffer when the growth period comes to an end. We start going into mass market, we go into a decline or into commoditization of our services. And, and from that point, uh, we will then see the margins begin to shrink further. So you can end up with shrinking margins because of the war for talent during high growth periods, and then further shrinking as you come out of that into a commoditized market. So it's important to focus on retaining profitability. And, and that's done in two ways. One is controlling your costs. And I'm sure Christina is phenomenal at that. It's going to talk wax lyrical about it for us. Um, but the other is also to ensure that we have a good level of innovation. So what is innovation in fintech? Well, it's not just about building the next foreign exchange platform or the next equity trading platform. Uh, it's about looking as well at services and the types of what, uh, the ways in which those services are affecting our industry. Right now, for example, we know that uh, trillions of dollars are being poured in to the environmental and green market. And, and you might say, what's that got to do with fintechs? Well, some fintechs have considered using the ESG indexes and helping investors consider where their money is. Um, but other fintechs, uh, including us, are beginning to explore how does this change the nature and shape of the business issues surrounding our market? For example, with commodities, there's a huge amount of uh, trading that's done on oils and previously on coal. Some of the American coal companies have lost 90% of their market cap uh, during this uh, green environmental uh, period that we're going through now. And, and, and that's appropriate. That's okay. But where's that going to? Because there's no less money in the world. How's that changing the shape of our market? What is the business issue that people are facing and how are they going to fix that? So when we look at growth and what that growth is going to look like after commoditization, it's important for us to consider the shape of the market and how uh, we need to innovate in order to meet those needs. Finally, I guess when we talk about uh, ensuring finances are controlled, there are limits to the amount of money that we can invest as a, we're a mid-sized organization, we're not huge. And so we need to consider where we make those investments. Um, there are markets which are quickly growing and are less profitable. At, at times, it's appropriate for us to make investments in those markets so that we see good revenue growth 
and that uh, although being less profitable, it does provide good cash flow for us. There are markets which are far more profitable for us. And so as we consider the strategic positioning and where we grow out, then we need to look at those countries and to ensure that our funding is in, in place for those because uh, although they might be growing slower at times, uh, it's those markets that will drive greater cash flow and therefore help us position our funding for the high growth periods. So it's a balancing act. It's a lot of fun. It's certainly a lot of fun right now. And uh, hopefully those things will be of uh, some interest to you folks. Really interesting that you mentioned green energy. It's been really nice for me personally getting to see how finance and fintech and banking have taken a big leadership position in a lot of the key topics um, currently. It also sounds a lot like your marketing and finance leaders are about to get a pay rise from the sounds of it. Yeah, so that that's not happening in the near future. And uh, <laughs> that's all about needing to maintain our profits. Christina. Funding and startup cash are some of the main issues new fintechs and financial institutions face. Do you know how businesses can attract and encourage investors? I think marketing and education. Once that marketing can attract investor attention, we can educate them on what we do. There's no doubt that investment will come. Um, fintech is, a, is an innovative technology that makes traditional financial service easily accessible. Terry just mentioned good example today. So that's why this industry has now become one of the most lucrative and profitable investment options. Um, there are several reasons why investment must consider being part of this sector, especially under the new normal we are living in. So why not invest in FinTech? Brilliant, thank you. Terry, let's get back to basics. How do you actually manage a budget? Well, in my personal life, it's impossible. But when it comes to a company, well, we publish one, right? And so we start with a budget. It's usually published uh, either late November, early December. Uh, nobody can predict the future. We can only take our best guess at it. And I think one of the challenges for fintechs is uh, the smaller ones in particular, the smaller you are, then a single deal can make a substantial difference as to whether you hit your budget or not. So uh, the first piece of advice I give is don't be so hung up over it. Uh, it. It's important that your company is healthy, that it's generating positive cash flow. If it's growing at the rate that you thought it would grow, that's fantastic. If it's not providing you're healthy, it, it'll come. Just be patient. So when it comes to budgets, we look at it in, uh, in, in three different ways. Uh, first of all, we look at the gross contribution that our staff are making, and we set a, a KPI for that. And we work very hard to meet that KPI, and that influences the whole organization. So if that contribution, and I'm going to give a ridiculous number uh, just because I don't want to give out our financials, but if that number was a 10% profit contribution, then that influences our pricing. So it needs to be known by the sales staff. It influences our resourcing, so it needs to be known by recruitment staff. It influences our operational costs, so the chief executive officers for both Latin America and North America, they also need to understand what the flexibility is on pay rises. So we manage that gross contribution quite tightly. We then set an EBITDA, and I'm happy to share what that is because it's fairly standard for our industry. We target an EBITDA of 20%. And just for those not familiar with the term, that means earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization. And that's not only about your gross contribution, but then you're looking at how do I manage my other expenses, including the exorbitant marketing expense, 
Uh, how do I manage the other expenses through my organization for rent, for electricity, for lawyers, for, for accountants, for travel, for the management overhead, for the sales overhead? All of these things go into that. And that may differ by country, depending on your structure and the level of complexity of doing business in a country. Um, but uh, you know, it's important that that's, that's controlled. Uh, and then finally, we manage from a budget perspective our cash flow. And cash flow, because we work in uh, so many countries, cash flow for us is an interesting challenge. Uh, we look at three aspects. One is cash positioning. That means do we have cash in the right currency at the right time in the right country to pay the bills? But just moving money around isn't possible. There must be a reason for it. So we also look at what's called transfer pricing. That means between one company and another, in our case, between one country and another, there are rules which are often set by organizations like the OECD, uh, although not the case in Brazil. And those rules establish the criteria by which you can make a sale between one of your companies and another. Otherwise, you could simply make a sale to invoice out all your profit at the end of the year to a company that has a different end of year reporting line, and then you could invoice it back in afterwards. So countries and governments have done things to prevent you doing that. So we need to consider the value of transfer pricing. And then lastly, of course, there are different tax regimes in each country. And so we uh, need to make sure that we are being efficient with tax. And I'd just like to say that doesn't mean tax avoidance. I'm absolutely in favor of individuals and organizations paying appropriate tax in the countries in which they work. It's essential for the health of the country and it's only fair. So with that in mind, we have to consider invoicing between countries, the tax position of each country and the, the need for us to position cash in each country to pay those bills. So those three elements of the budget, the gross, the net and the cash flow positions uh, we manage on a weekly basis and uh, on a monthly basis, we report them back to our board. Terry, just quickly before we move on, do you have any tools or like technologies, um, apps that you found really useful in helping you manage this? So uh, that's an interesting question, Deborah. We work in different countries and they have different accounting regimes. So actually, in North America, there are some tools that can be very simple and easy, depending on the size of your organization. Uh, a piece of software like QuickBooks, for example, might be very simple and easy for you to use and to get the needed information out. When you start looking at countries in Latin America, and Brazil is one of our largest revenues, then you have different accounting rules called COSIF. And so for those uh, organizations, a far more substantial tool is needed. Uh, so we have to use a local accounting tool. We then have difficulties, of course, of consolidating that into a set of management accounts. So there's a difference between fiscal accounts that go to a government in order to pay tax and management accounts, the purpose of which is to inform the executive committee as to whether their, their country, their company is healthy and uh, whether it's making money. So uh, to give you some examples, in North America, we don't need to accrue for everybody to be fired in the company. That might seem like a strange thing, but we don't accrue for that because the accounting rules don't require you to do it and because it's never going to happen unless you're going to go bankrupt. But in Brazil, for example, every month under the fiscal rules, you need to accrue for firing everybody in the company just in case it might happen in the future. So that's a fiscal account which reflects the tax position 
but that's useless for us when it comes to management, considering whether the country is healthy or not or requires further investment. So what happens at the end of every month is we need to consolidate that into a common standard of management reporting and a common balance sheet under one of the international standards, and in our case, uh, that's GAAP. In order to do that, we, we use a mixture of, in some cases, even Excel, uh, but we have our own online platform that's been built. It's called the Transformation Implementation Method, and the Trim platform, as it's known, uh, helps us see both uh, our, our sales, our operations, and uh, over time, we're moving very quickly towards using that as a platform to create standardized financial reporting. Thanks, Terry. That's really helpful. Christina, I'm not ashamed to say that your advice has personally helped me in my personal life, manage my budget and get out of a little bit of debt. Um, so I was wondering if you could share with everyone else. We know that you deal with finances and managing and controlling finances a lot at work. But do you have any advice um, for anyone how they can use finances in their personal life to achieve their goals? I will manage it like a business. So you need to set up your targets and plan to achieve them. When you have a plan, you can measure it, right? And you can tell how far you are or how fast you can meet your goals. Um, but for me, like a financial plan is a roadmap for individual or a company to reach its goals. Uh, like the typical what, when, where, why, and how should be applied in your personal finance too. Um, having a plan is not helps you meet your targets, but also helps you on what you focus on in a rainy day, like now in pandemic. I personally have my financial goals and I constantly review them. So I, I hope Terry's doing that too. Thanks, Christina. I found your financial and professional advice always really, really helpful in the workplace. Um, Terry, as an entrepreneur and CEO, do you have any financial tips for anyone who wants to start their own financial institution or fintech? When starting any business, it's important to understand what you're getting yourself into. But first of all, you must build a proper business case. And part of that business case needs to identify why me? Why, why would they use my company compared to someone else? So what differentiates you? Uh, in the case of CPQI, uh, one of the key things that differentiated us was the fact that we were using Brazil. And uh, that's quite new at the time for offshoring work. But when you look at the American continent, the same time zone opportunity, particularly with more modern delivery methods uh, like DevOps and Agile with squads that need to be awake at the same time, that makes eminent sense. So there's one key differentiator. Uh, the second is that we employ some fantastic people who come from the industry and they bring with them a track record of implementation and delivery, uh, which is uh, builds tremendous confidence and trust. Uh, and so that differentiates us. And then there's others. So there's our culture around the sense of urgency. Uh, there's our loyalty and, and, and other elements. So it's important when you start that you consider, why am I different? Why would somebody buy from me? What are my unique selling points? If you don't develop a financial plan to start with that considers in all honesty what the reasonable negative case scenario is, then you're going to run out of cash. So it's easy for people putting a business plan together for a fintech, 
to start saying, you know, this year I'm going to turn over half a million and then next year I'm going to turn over 15 million and then 30 million. And this doesn't happen. And we're in an age today where everybody thinks they're going to become a unicorn, a billion dollar business. It's going to happen quickly. It doesn't happen very often. And most likely it isn't going to happen to you. It is very, very hard work to grow a business. So as you consider your financial planning at the point of setup, look at the lowest point of cash burn. What is the maximum amount of cash that I'm going to burn? That's what you need. And whether you get that from your own funds, from a family and friends round, uh, from a bank loans, or you go for Series A funding or angel funding, you know, that you need to be able to cover that cash position. If it turns out to be too much cash, that's a great problem to have. Then you can invest that in growing further. You can invest it in uh, R&D. You can invest it into uh, additional sales. And finally, please look at the competition. One of the worst mistakes people make is they set up organizations thinking that they're the only one. And one of the common questions that is asked by an investor is you know, who else does this? Oh, nobody does it like us. Nobody does it. Somebody does it. Somebody does something in this space. That's not to say that what you're doing isn't unique. It may well be, but you need to understand who's close to you, who's alongside you, because these are the people for whom the barrier of entry into your market is much lower. And so their opportunity to attack you when you're successful, particularly if they're bigger, it's much easier for them to do that. So if you consider these things and build out a good plan, if you look at your lowest cash point and consider that as your level of funding, and if you ensure that you are unique in some way and therefore have a proposition which people will buy, then you will be successful. My only advice beyond that is if you've thought about it well, have the courage to go and do it. It's a tremendous amount of fun. Thank you both very much for joining us. That was really enjoyable. This was the American Digital Banking Podcast hosted by CBQI. Don't forget to follow us to hear more.